the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us in another episode of Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and... Um, it's going to be an awesome day. Um, uh, praise the Lord for that. And today's episode is going to be also exciting. Uh, with me here, a, uh, a guest that uh, was with me in the past. His name is uh, Sam Shamon. Uh, brother Sam is a dear brother in the Lord. And um, I had uh, really the privilege of uh, learning under him uh, in a variety of ways. Uh, Sam is a Christian apologist to Islam, and he engages uh, in debates as an informed apologist refuting accusations and attacks leveled by Muslims against Christianity. And uh, he really, uh, he writes a lot of articles. Uh, you can watch a lot of his debates on YouTube. You can watch a lot of his episodes. Uh, one of the shows that he's involved in is called Jesus or Muhammad. Uh, but um, just do a simple Google search for the name Sam Shimon, and uh, you'll see uh, the blessings that uh, you'll come across in terms of the teaching of this brother. Sam, thank you so much, brother, for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor, and I beg the Father of our Lord Jesus to bless our time in the power of the Holy Spirit so that the name of Jesus Christ the Lord will be magnified. So. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. Amen. And uh, throughout this episode, and hopefully uh, next week as well, you'll be joining us. Uh, we'll let people know how they can get a hold of you. You can, of course, share whatever means that you would like for people to interact with you, or even uh, which sites they can go and, and learn from your yeah. teachings. Uh, so, uh, Sam, t today, as uh, we've discussed, uh, we would like to talk about a topic that is uh, really interesting, and it's almost like uh, it, it's a contrast uh, with between two doctrines, um, I myself uh, grew up as a Muslim, as you know, and uh, believed in uh, the doctrine of Tawheed, which is the oneness of God. And of course, as a Muslim at that time, I denied the Trinity, thinking that the Trinity really meant the worship of three gods. And that comes, of course, from the Quran. But today, of course, I'm a Trinitarian uh, simply because the doctrine Amen. is taught in the Bible. It's not like someone invented it. So today we would like, you know, for our listeners, uh, if they're just joining us on Let Us Reason, to uh, learn uh, uh, from your interactions with Muslims related to this particular topic. Uh, can you please, um, you know, share uh, about what is Tawheed, of course, I mean, I'll interject my thoughts, of course, and what is Trinity and make a contrast between the two, hopefully this week and next week? Yes, yes. Um, again, let me... This is explain what Muslims believe, because <clears throat> Muslims, Christians, and Jews all claim to be monotheists, meaning we worship one supreme creator God, who spoke the entire creation into being from nothing, and we believe that this God is a God of Abraham. Muslims believe that as well. 
so that they believe that their Islamic faith, their religion, didn't start with Muhammad, and I'm sure you've covered this in previous topics, but that this is the religion of all the prophets. It's actually the very religion, the lifestyle imposed on Abraham and his descendants. Because the Quran in chapter 3, verse 67, chapter 3, verse 67, says that Abraham, Ibrahim in Arabic, was neither a Jew nor a Christian, but an upright Muslim. And then chapter 22, verse 78 of the Quran, 2278, it says that this religion, Islam, is the religion of Ibrahim, your father, Ibrahim, Abraham. And he named you Muslims both before and now in this. So according to the Muslims, the God that spoke to Muhammad, the God that sent down the Quran, is the God of Abraham. So in that sense, they worship one creator, God. Now there's a distinction between their monotheism and our monotheism. We're Trinitarian monotheists meaning that although we believe there's only one God, according to the revelation given to us in the Scriptures, specifically the revelation that the Lord Jesus Christ brought in the power of the Holy Spirit, this one God eternally exists as three eternally distinct persons. Now, before I move on, I need to qualify that we're using human language, and human language cannot capture... the true essence and nature of God, because God is beyond our ability to fully comprehend and perfectly, adequately explain. So when I say three persons, again, for those listening, I don't want them to think that what we mean is that the Father is a person like you and I. See, I'm a human person. But being a human person means I'm a creature. I'm finite, limited. I have a physical body. I'm bound to time, space, and place. That's not what we mean when we say that there are three persons. By person, I mean that in this Godhead, there are three eternal relationships. So that the Father is a person in the sense that he can speak and be spoken to. He has emotion, he has a will, he has intelligence, he knows and can be known, etc. So it's in that sense. Not three persons in the sense of three physical beings limited to time, space, and place. So we need to be very careful in how we use language and be clear when we communicate what we believe to Muslims, and not just to Muslims, but even Christians. There are many Christians who struggle with understanding the doctrine of the Trinity, because again, it is a doctrine of who God is, and God by nature is infinite and beyond our ability to comprehend, and unlike anything in creation, and that's precisely what we see in the Trinity, a being who exists in, etern- in three eternal relationships, exists eternally as three distinct persons, unlike anything in creation, right? Amen. So we're Trinitarian monotheists. We believe in one God and three eternal persons. Muslims, on the other hand, would be more properly called Unitarians. They're not just monotheists, they're Unitarians, in that they affirm that the God who revealed the Quran, which in Arabic he's called Allah, he's not just one being, one essence, but he would be one consciousness or one person, even though Muslims do not like to use the term person in describing Allah. Because like us, they agree that there is no word, no language that can perfectly capture the very being and essence of God. But for a lack of a better term, Muslims think that Allah is a singular person, singular consciousness. So they're Unitarian. So now the debate is, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob a unitary deity? Or is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob Trinitarian? In that he's one God and three persons, three persons, one God. That's the debate between Christians and Muslims, and that's what divides them. Right. So... um, of course, as you know, Sam, that there is always attacks against uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, and uh, Paul is always dragged into it anyway, uh, as yeah, if yeah. it is Paul who is the one who invented this. Um, yeah. 
can you, I mean, there's a lot of Christians, sadly, by the way, that do not know even how to defend the doctrine. Um, if, if you uh, would like to maybe uh, give a, a brief background about the doctrine itself, and then maybe as yeah. you're led to today or next week, uh, continue on that topic as well. Sure. Uh, the reason why I'm a Trinitarian, the reason why you're a Trinitarian, is because we're convinced the Bible points us to that doctrine, to that revelation. <clears throat> now, according to the Scriptures, there's only one supreme God, one uncreated, beginningless, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent <clears throat> being, who is God. Now, in the Old Testament, his covenant name is Yahweh. Now, some would pronounce it Yahweh, and the anglicized version would be Jehovah. You know, if you want to call him Jehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh, that's fine, but the whole point is that his covenant name is what we call the Tetragrammaton, the four letters represented by the Hebrew consonant, consonant yod Hey vav Hey or yod Hey wav Hey. So, Yahweh, Yahweh, Jehovah, I'm okay with any of those pronunciations. There's only one Yahweh. There's only one God. There's only one uncreated, beginningless creator to the of all things. <clears throat> now, with that said, the same scriptures reveal that this one supreme God, Yahweh, exists as more than one person. For example, you have the person of the Father. In the New Testament, he's the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But even in the Old Testament, Yahweh related to his people as a father relates to his children, so that you find passages such as Isaiah 63, 16. Let's look at that. I'll turn there. There's a lot of information, and time is short, so I'll try to do my best to encapsulate, to sum up, the overwhelming biblical witness to the triunity of God. Isaiah 63, 16. It says, doubtless you are our father. So here's the prophet Isaiah, speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, doubtless you are our father. So Abraham was ignorant of us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Yahweh, are our father. Our Redeemer from everlasting is your name. Amen. So now notice, Yahweh here is identified as Israel's father, because he's their creator, sustainer, redeemer, replenisher. Again, in Isaiah 64.8, and this is just two of many. Like I said, to do justice to this topic, you need weeks, if not months, if not years, to go in-depth in not just the New Testament basis for the Trinity, but the Old Testament witness to the Trinity as well. Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, O Yahweh, again, the covenant name of God, Yahweh, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter, and all we are the work of your hands. So here, Yahweh is called the Father, clearly. At the same time, both the Old and New Testament testify that Yahweh possesses an eternal spirit, the spirit of Yahweh, also called the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit, although distinct from Yahweh, is identified as a divine entity, because the Holy Spirit is able to perform specific divine functions that only God can perform. For example, the Holy Spirit is identified as the creator, the sustainer, the light giver, the one who regenerates, who replenishes, who empowers the people of God, who sets apart the people of God, who seals the people of God all of which requires the deity of the Holy Spirit. But beyond that, the Holy Spirit is also identified as a person, not a human person, but a divine person, in that he can speak and be spoken to, and he has emotion. For example, Isaiah 63.10. There's a lot I can discuss, but again, Isaiah 63.10, let's see what it says about the Holy Spirit's emotions. Does he have emotions? Does he express emotions? Well, here, Isaiah 63.10. But they rebelled and grieved this Holy Spirit. Notice. The prophet Isaiah, over 700 years before the birth of our Lord, wrote down by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, mind you, that Israel rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, 
Now, you cannot grieve something that's impersonal. Correct. To grieve someone presupposes that the person being grieved has emotion and can be affected by what you do. So for the spirit to be grieved, the spirit must be personal. But they rebelled and grieved this Holy Spirit, so he turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. This is echoed in Ephesians 4.30, where Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by which you can feel. Do not grieve. So both Paul and Isaiah before him affirm that the Holy Spirit expresses, exhibits emotions, such as being grieved, being hurt, being upset, or being joyful. You know, so clearly the Holy Spirit is personal. Now, to show you that the Holy Spirit is the Creator, Job 33.4. Job 33.4, the Spirit of God has made me. Who made me? The Spirit of God. Now, notice that the Spirit is the Spirit of God, meaning the Spirit who belongs to God, the Spirit who originates from God. So two distinct entities, God and the Spirit, mentioned together. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And then notice, this is just Old Testament. I haven't even touched the New Testament witness. And just more and more examples of the Holy Spirit being the Creator Sustainer. Psalm 104, Psalm 104, 29 to 30. Psalm 104, 29 to 30. Here's what we're told. Psalm 104, 29 to 30. <clears throat> you hide your face, they are troubled. See, when God is upset with his people, he hides his face. Metaphorically, obviously. God is not a physical being with a physical face. So hiding his face means that God does not look upon his people with favor. He turns towards them in anger and displeasure. You hide your face. And when you do that, they are troubled. You take away their spirit, they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit. Notice again the distinction. You, Yahweh, your spirit that is sent. So the spirit being sent distinguishes the spirit from Yahweh. But at the same time, the spirit does what only Yahweh can do, namely create. Because notice it says, you send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. So God sends His Holy Spirit to resurrect the dead, to recreate the dead, and to replenish the earth. These are divine prerogatives, divine functions, that belongs to God alone, and yet the Spirit is able to perform them. So now that's the second divine person, Yahweh, who is identified as the Father of His people, and in the New Testament, the Father of Jesus, His Spirit, who exhibits emotions and divine qualities and functions, showing that He too is a divine person. And then the New Testament introduces us, introduces us to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all throughout the New Testament, Jesus is identified as not just being fully human, fully human to the core, with the exception of sin. He's man as God intended man to be, in all his perfection and glory, but also fully divine. And we could spend ages on that topic alone, what the New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, says about the person and work of Jesus the Messiah, that he's truly God, fully God. Let me just give you one example. John 20, 28. Real quick, I mean, there's too many to list. But passages in which the title God is applied to the Lord Jesus Christ in the sense of his being absolute deity. Not simply God in a generic sense, God in a functional sense, God in a secondary lesser sense, God in the absolute sense of being the Creator, one with the Father and the Spirit. Okay? Let me show you. John 20, 28, Doubting Thomas sees the risen Lord a week after his resurrection. And Thomas answered and said to him, notice, this is directed to Jesus, said to him, Ipen auto, to him, not to someone else, my Lord and my God. That's John 20, 28. Now, what's interesting is, is that in the Greek, it's hakuriasmo, kai hafeasmo, meaning literally, the Lord of me, the Lord, the Lord of me, and hafeas, the God of me. 
Now, according to the Old Testament, the only Lord God that a faithful Israelite has, the only Lord God that a faithful Israelite is to turn to and worship and trust and love is Yahweh. For Thomas to say to the risen Jesus Christ in his physical glorified body that you, Jesus, are my Lord and my God, if Jesus wasn't God in an absolute sense, Thomas would be blaspheming and the Lord would have to rebuke him. Instead, in the next verse, Jesus blesses Thomas's confession of faith, accepting it and acknowledging it as true. The only way it could be true is if Jesus, even though he's not the Father, he's the Father's Son, is one with the Father in essence and nature, and happens to be just as much God as the Father. That's the only way this statement could be true. And then one more example. I said a mouthful, but we can go on and on and on. Titus 2, 13 and 14. Titus 2, 13 and 14 the Blessed Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, says this, This is the hope of every Christian. This is the hope of thou. This is the hope of every believer whose heart is made alive in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's our hope. What are we looking for? What do we eagerly and anxiously await? Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing, glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the hope of every Christian, that our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Father's beloved Son, appears again, descends from heaven, and enters into the earth, and establishes a perfect world, a perfect order, where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more misery, no more wickedness, no more death. That's the hope of Christians, that our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will descend Amen. and be glorified in the midst of believers. And so let me finish verse 14. Who gave himself for us, this is Titus chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, for those taking up. Who gave himself up for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So that's how we're supposed to live. If we eagerly uh, await the return of Christ, we must live godly lives, holy lives, zealous to glorify Jesus Christ in righteousness, obedience, holiness, and love. That is. So that sums up. That is awesome, brother. And I just want to comment also uh, in verse 13, where it says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. By the way, the chi here, the and, in the Greek uh, could indicate a apexegetical, meaning explanations of who is this great God. But also in the Greek rule, that when you have this chi here, the quality, the same quality of the person mentioned after the conjunction is equal yeah, yeah. to the one mentioned before. So, here, the Savior, Jesus Christ. You're talking about what's called uh, yeah, Grand Will Sharp's first rule. That's right. Just to explain real quick, Grand Will Sharp's first rule teaches that when you have two singular nouns, common nouns that are not proper names, and you have the definite article before the first noun, and these two nouns are connected by the conjunction chi, both nouns speak of the same person. That's what you find in the Greek. It says, the great God of us and the Savior, Jesus Christ, right? So Amen. the definite article appears before the great God, but not before Savior, and they're connected by and, Kai in Greek, clearly showing it refers to one person. So exegetically, grammatically, it's inarguable. Paul is calling Jesus Christ our great God and Savior. Amen. And as you uh, laid it out uh, beautifully here, and of course I agree with you, by the way, to all of those who are listening, I studied the Trinity uh, under Sam for two years. Uh, so, uh, you, you know, you. It's, it's really hard to justify just few verses, but uh, I'm glad you focus also on Old Testament because sometimes, like I said, and especially my Muslim people, fall into this trap of uh, expecting that only the New Testament teaches this. In fact, one of the fallacies, of course, Sam, I'm sure you've heard it many times, that the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. What would you say to that? Oh, yeah. Well, 
if they're going to nitpick and insist that a word has to be found in the Bible in order for it to be true, you know this fully well. The word Tawheed does not appear in the Quran. Yet Tawheed is the word that Muslims coin to denote the Unitarianism that they think the Quran teaches. And we're going to have to get into that because I have challenges to that assertion. So if the Trinity not being found in the Bible is a basis to reject the biblical revelation of the Trinity, then Muslims that are consistent must reject Tawheed because Tawheed does not appear in the Quran. It's never used in the Quran. Tawheed, that word, doesn't appear in the Quran. Correct. So let's be consistent. Equal weights and measures. If that's a good argument for the Muslims to reject the Trinity, then if they're going to be consistent, they must reject Tawheed because the word does not appear in the Quran. And obviously the Muslims are going to say, no, no, no. Just because the word doesn't appear doesn't mean the Quran doesn't teach the concept. Thank you. We're not saying the word appears in the Bible. We're saying that the Bible teaches the concept of the Trinity. We coined the term as a succinct term to denote what we believe. One God, three persons, three persons, one God. That's all it is. That's it. Yeah, that's a good argument. You know? Absolutely. And by the way, since you speak Arabic, you can confirm this, that the, to- the word Tawheed itself comes from a verb that means to unite, to unify, to bring together. That's right. That's right. It's it's uh, almost when you unite, you unite two nations, three nations, four nations. That's wahda. Uh, uh, that's the word where we get also the word tawhid, meaning all of them become like one together, basically, in unity. The reason why I wanted you to highlight that, uh, Al, is because irony of irony. Muslims claim that the doctrine of the Trinity is a form of shirk, associating partners with Allah, because Allah is a singular person. And to say that there are other persons united to him in his essence would be sure, or forgivable sin in Islam. And yet the very term Tawheed comes from a verb that means to unify, to bring together, to unite. So the word itself assumes, presupposes, a plurality and unity, a unity and plurality, diversity and unity. Irony of ironies, huh? Absolutely. In fact, one of their prolific, you know, so-called scholars that they quote all the time, Zakir Nayak, himself stated that the meaning of Tawheed literally means unification. Yeah, it's ironic you say he's a scholar. Well, if they consider him a scholar, they have more power to them. They have the right to define and determine who is and who isn't a scholar, because I really don't consider him a scholar, nor do I consider him a good apologist. And it's not an ad hominem. My observation of after watching him for years debating Christians, and debating Christian topics. Uh, so, be that as it may, we have a standing challenge to him that he, you know, anytime, any place, we're ready, willing, and able to debate him. So let's see if he'll take us up on that challenge. Amen. i like us for uh, to talk about Tawheed next week, uh, but uh, for now, anything else you want to add uh, related to the Doctrine of the Trinity uh, that will be helpful oh, to our, maybe uh, sites, maybe articles that you would like to point him to? Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of stuff, but before that, what's, what's our time for this show? Just so I can time myself, so I don't go over time. We have uh, 10 minutes? Uh, I think we have a few minutes left. Oh, okay. oh, darn it. Okay. Well, if they want to go more in-depth on this topic, it's all right. Glory God, like I said, we're scratching the surface. But if they want to go more in-depth on this topic, they can go to the website I write for. It's Answering Islam. So you go www.answeringislam.net, or you can do www.answering-islam.org. Either one. Go there. You can go to individual authors, and you'll find Sam Shamoon. You'll find my articles, because the great bulk of my articles on answering Islam has to do with the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the personhood of the Holy Spirit, salvation, the authority of Scripture. So go there, look for me, but there are also other great writers, a lot of great stuff. So go to answeringislam.net, and then also go to YouTube. Go to YouTube, put in Sam Shamoon, Jesus or Muhammad, because David Wood and myself 
used to do shows called Jesus or Muhammad for about six years, and they're all archived. And many of the shows, we go in-depth on the issue of the Trinity. So check us out on YouTube, check us out on AnsonIslam.net, and you'll find tons of information to so find your faith in the biblical revelation of the Trinity. Amen. Amen. And I can encourage everybody, indeed, if you just go to uh, answering-islam.org or answeringislam.net, uh, you will have a wealth of knowledge in there, uh, not just about this topic, but about a variety of topics. I, I, can, I can really testify that there isn't a single topic I've ever came across uh, debate-wise or argument that is raised or objection by Muslims that I didn't find at least the answer to it either through Sam or through these websites. So our time, unfortunately, is up. But uh, hopefully, if you have just joined us, uh, you were listening to Let Us Reason. Amir Al-Safadi with me here was our dear brother, Sam Shimon. And uh, also, I extend an invitation to you to uh, listen to the same show next week as we will continue this awesome discussion about the comparison between the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of Tawheed. Once again, this is uh, Al-Fadi, and you can always go to our website, sirainternational.com. Watch, uh, in fact, I did an entire series based on the uh, topics that uh, I learned from Sam and the passages from Old Testament and New Testament related to the Doctrine of the Trinity. You can always email me at alfadi, alfadi at sirainternational.com. Until we meet again, have a blessed week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.